This episode of Never Not Knitting is brought to you by Ysolda. Check out the website at www.ysolda.com. Hi, this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting Podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 53. Thank you for joining me back. I also wanted to thank everyone who has recently taken the time to send me emails and Ravelry messages congratulating me on the pregnancy. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And also, I'd like to extend a special thank you to podcast listener Leslie Gordon, who just sent me this adorable hand-knit baby hat as a gift. That was so kind and sweet of her, and this hat is super cute. Thank you again, Leslie. Well, as always, I'd like to start off today's episode by announcing the winner of last episode's drawing giveaway. Everyone who left a comment under the drawing blog post was entered to win the fabulous Pigeon Roost Studio skeins that I talked about in episode 52. Now, I was blown away by how many of you entered this giveaway. Over 700 of you. Apparently, this is some highly sought-after yarn. And, actually, I, I don't really blame you. But anyways, I chose a commenter at random using the online random number generator. And I'm happy to announce that the winner is... Kristen. Spelled K-R-I-S... T-I-N. Congratulations. So unfortunately, Kristen forgot to leave her contact information, so I'm hoping that she will listen to this. So Kristen, when you hear this, go ahead and please email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com to claim your prize, and also so that I can get your shipping information and get these beautiful skeins sent right out to you. Thank you to everyone who participated. And now for knitting update. Since my last episode, I've been knitting like a crazy person. I've been working morning, noon, and into the night on this design collection. It's turning out to be a pretty big endeavor, and of course, I've set this insane deadline for myself. Of course, you know me, that's what I do. And right now, All of my living room furniture is completely covered in swatches, skeins of yarn, measuring tapes, and scribbled on notepads. And you may think this is strange because I kind of have this neurotic, control freak personality, but when it comes to knitting and my creative process, I guess I just like to spread everything out. When I'm working on something, I just don't want to take the time to be organized and keep everything neat and where it goes. It's just how I work. I have a small house, so I don't have a room dedicated. I do have my desk shoved into the corner of our bedroom. But other than that, my couch and chair and living room are kind of like my office. So I just sit on the couch with everything surrounding me and within my reach. My poor husband complained to me the other night 
that I had now ruined the living room with my knitting. And actually, I found him sitting on the floor watching TV last night, so I should probably go in there and clean something up. At least I should give him a corner of the couch or something, I guess. So aside from being a super messy knitter while I'm working, throughout this process I've also discovered just how much the success of my designs affect my outlook on life. When everything is going smoothly, I feel quite unbelievably happy. All is right with the world, and I feel proud and productive. But unfortunately, these moments are fleeting, because things rarely work out the way I had envisioned, and oftentimes I have to rip out and re-knit several times before I get a design just right. This past week, for example, I've been struggling with a very, very badly behaved hat design for the collection. And I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I had everything swatched out and the pattern even written out before my yarn arrived in the mail. But when I actually started knitting the hat, everything was off. The yarn wasn't a good match for the pattern after all, and the proportions were way off, and as I ripped out and re-knit this thing over and over and over again, I started to seriously develop a very bad attitude about the entire thing. I wondered, is it normal to be this upset with a hand-knit hat? Seriously, this stupid hat was literally causing me to hate my life and rethink my profession. And yeah, it could be, maybe, that pregnancy hormones were playing a small very, very small role in this kind of irrational thinking, maybe. But anyways, this hat was just extremely frustrating, and I knit and ripped out and re-knit this thing for about a week. After about maybe the 10th time of not being happy with how it was going, I finally just came to the decision that this was just not working. I was forcing this design to work with this yarn, and I hated it. And that's not a good thing. I mean, what you want is to be able to work on something and genuinely love the outcome. After all, you don't want to design something that you hate, right? So yes, I finally gave in. I switched my yarn, I switched my gauge, and I just started fresh with the stitch pattern. And finally, I am so happy to tell you it's starting to look the way I had originally envisioned it. And I'm feeling that all is right in the world again. Aside from my crazy work knitting schedule, I did get a chance to briefly dabble in a bit of personal knitting too. Now don't get me wrong, I'm super busy and I have no time whatsoever. But there just happened to be this day where I was waiting on yarns to arrive in the mail and I was caught up on my other projects, and there was just no work knitting that I could do. So I decided to cast on a pair of tiny green socks for our baby. I'm using a luxurious skein of Pigeon Roof Studios yarn, and these little socks are just so cute. But of course everything is cute when it's this tiny. And when I say socks, I really mean 
sock. Um, I only had one night free to do this, so the pair isn't complete yet. I will be sure to post pictures when I do get the time to finish them, which I'm hoping will be soon. Because so far, our little one has a very pathetic mismatched set of footwear. He has one brown baby booty and one little green sock. It's kind of sad. It really is. But I promise to make it up to him and be a better knitting mommy in the future once I finish this big design project of mine. There are so many cute baby things I want to make, it's not even funny. So in this episode, I'm very excited to tell you that I have a new interview to share with you. This time with Isolde Teague about her latest book, Little Red in the City. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you'll know that Isolde is the designer I've probably mentioned the most throughout the years. I've knit several of her designs, and she's quite possibly my all-around favorite knitwear designer. I pretty much love everything she comes out with. Like everyone else, I've been excitedly awaiting the release of her new book, so I was so happy to get the chance to chat with her about it on the podcast. But wait, I do need to apologize before I share this interview though. Unfortunately, the sound quality is not its best. I placed a call to Usolda in Scotland over the internet to what I believe was her mobile phone, and the connection just is not great. Some areas of the interview are pretty crackly, and some were even so bad that I had to erase some sections altogether, which made me very, very, very sad. Fortunately, however, the crackliness was mostly on my end for some reason, so you can still hear Yasolda pretty well, and that's the most important part. So again, I'd like to apologize for the sound quality here, but I still hope you enjoy our conversation just the same. Solda, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to get the opportunity to talk with you and to introduce the listeners to your new book, Little Red in the City. So why don't we start out by having you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. It's, it started off as a pattern book, um, but... Uh, I got bored of just designing patterns, so it's now kind of half half sweater patterns and half sort of a guide to successful sweater knitting, Um, different techniques you can use, um, how to kind of really get the sweater that you want um, so you're not knitting, kind of casting on and knitting blindly and not really knowing how it's going to turn out until you try it on. So there's there's a lot of information about how to figure out what size you should make and um, substituting different yarns and then if you need to make any changing changes to the pattern so that it fits you better, how to do that. Yeah, well, and just flipping through it, you offer so much information. It's, it's just great. I mean, I think that this is just the 
is going to be just a go-to guide for everyone for sweater knitting. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let, tell us about the title. How did you come up with the title of the book? Um, it's a little weird. I think Clara Parks and her review, the Knitter's Review, mm -hmm. uh, she wrote that uh, this, such a vague title would never have gotten past the publisher, which is probably true. I think if I hadn't self-published it, it would be called, like, you know, The Ultimate Guide to Sweater Knitting or something <sighs> really boring. So the title is kind of... When I started off working on the designs, a lot of them were a little more um, costumey than the sort of final incarnations, uh, which I wrote about in the design stories for each pattern. But um, they're sort of fairy tale inspired and a lot of inspiration from vintage knitting patterns, but also like movies and children's clothes and book illustrations. But I wanted, I didn't want to do things that were they would look great in the photos, but you wouldn't want to actually make them because you might really love this idea of having a cape, but where do you wear a hooded fairy tale cape? So it's kind of the title is sort of that it's these fairy tale inspired things like Little Red, Little Red Riding Hood, but that they're things you could wear in, you know, the uh, century, in the city, in your everyday life that you could wear these to work or whatever. Okay. If, you know, you don't get to work in your pajamas like I do. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I like how, it seems like all of your designs are kind of inspired by, like, fairy tales. And I mean, I, I mm -hmm. like I like that inspiration. That's me. I can see that in this book, too. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And there's a lot of sort of woodland imagery, too, in the book, like, which also sort of goes with the lower red writing hood thing. Right, right. So, um, since this book is a huge portion of this book, this is a long book. How many pages is it again? Mm, 264, I think. Yeah. Wow. The ebook is a little shorter because the pages are bigger, so you uh -huh. can get, we can get more on each page. I see. Yeah. But still, that is one long book. That <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that wasn't the idea. I think it was going to be like 50 pages when I started it. And it just grew and grew and grew? It grew and grew and grew. Yeah. Funny. And a huge portion of this book is dedicated to sweater fits and sweater sizing. Mm -hmm. It's pretty um, much half and half. I think there's a little more, over 100 pages. Right. Um, the sort of reference stuff. Yeah. So when, when did you become interested in sweater fit and sizing, and what inspired you to put all of that information in the book? Mom. I think part of it is that I started self-publishing patterns. So from the very beginning, I had a really like direct relationship with my customers. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, I was seeing, even before Ravelry, I was seeing people put up photos. And if I did, um, like, a pattern or I wrote about how I was going to design a sweater, people would comment on my blog and say that they hoped that it would come in their size or they really wanted to make it, but maybe they were really busty and they weren't sure how, you know, the style was going to work on them, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, maybe about three years ago, I visited Toronto, and I was staying with Amy Singer, who edits Knitting, and who mm -hmm. wrote Big Girl Knits. And she wanted to make, I, I was working on a sweater pattern, um, which became Liesl, 
And she mm-hmm. basically, like, begged the pattern off me. And I'm like, it's a draft. It's not going to make sense, but okay. And it was sort of based on an earlier free pattern I'd done that wasn't the easiest thing in the world to knit. Um, but Amy the, was like, cloud the cloud below, the cloud. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Amy, so Amy was like, well, maybe I can find some photos on Ravelry of people, like my size, my shape, and then I can figure out how long I want to make it, how much ease I should have. And we went through all the photos, and everyone was kind of skinny. And I'm like, I know people are knitting this, but they're not, they don't want to photograph it on them because, and I think it's kind of a big deal if, like, there's 50 photos and everyone looks sort of similar mm-hmm. and the pattern photographed on someone smaller. It's kind mm-hmm. of a big deal to be the first person to then post a photo on someone larger or maybe right. someone curvier. And mm-hmm. so yeah. I gave her the pattern on the condition that she would model it uh-huh. um, and let me take photos. And she was not into this idea at all until she realized that no one else was going to do it either. So... She was kind of like, okay, I'll be the person who will do that and who will. And it's it's really useful to be able to see things modeled on a different size. And it's also useful, you know, to me as a designer. I think charts are only so helpful. So Mm -hmm. it's really good to be able to see people make things in different sizes and to get that feedback about, like, whether it fits. And, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you have to sort of except that no one is really exactly the same size as a sizing chart. But yes. there's sort of a goal to, you know, have it fit a lot of people reasonably well, even if it doesn't fit many of them perfectly. That's still better than it not fitting yeah. anyone at all. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it kind of, it happened pretty organically and, I think someone recently asked me when I decided to start designing plus sizes. And I was, I think my automatic response was, first of all, that's kind of a weird question because why is that framed that the decision is to design for plus sizes rather than asking people why they don't Mm, do that? I see. So I don't think, it never really occurred to me that I, you know, should only do things in a small range of Mm -hmm. sizes. So, and once I started, I guess I had learned more yeah. about it <laughs> and how to do that. Well. Right, and I'm sure that that was a lot to to learn. All the information that you included in the book, all the techniques that you included, are those things yeah. that you just kind of learned through trial and error over time, or how did how did you come up with all these things, or did you just use reference materials and just experiment? How did it all come together? Um. It's kind of a combination of both. Um, there are there are several really great books on how to like how to design a sweater for a specific like mm-hmm. person, um, like Maggie Rigetti's uh, sweater design in plain English, um, and Barbara Walker's knitting from the top, and even like the Elizabeth Zimmerman kind of percentage mm-hmm. system. And then there's a new one, newish one by Shirley Payton who's a really experienced designer, um, which is called, if I could see it on the bookshelf, yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. um, anyway, it's about designing sweaters, and it's by Shirley Payton. But they're all really great books, but they're all how to design a pack as one sweater for right. one person, not how to grade that into different sizes and how to write 
actually write it up as a pattern for someone mm -hmm. else in it. So there isn't really any book specifically on that. So I think every designer is kind of learning from trial and error and learning from each other. And I've learned a ton from working with tech editors to bring like their mm -hmm. own experience to it. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is, I mean, it's just math. Mm -hmm. I use, generally, I, I use a spreadsheet. So everything is kind of, is a formula um, for like each stage across all of the sizes. Um, so you, I can, you know, drag that formula across, but it's not as simple as, you know, scaling everything up like 5% for each size. Because obviously, if you did that, yeah. you know, by the time you got a 50-inch bust, everyone would be 8 feet tall, which... And you have really long arms, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I also find that there are kind of some specific things that a lot of... Is like, um, the larger the sizes are, the more you need to think about what measurements are like a two-dimensional measurement, like maybe like the length, like from the neck to the waist, and what are measurements around the body. And so that's really important for making sure things like the armholes are big enough and bring enough space into the sleeve, but that the underarm isn't down at your waist in order to make that happen. Right. That's true. That's a good point. So a lot of it is about, yeah, there's sort of more more and more shaping the larger you get. I see. Interesting. So why don't you share real quick a little bit, just because listeners may not have your book right in front of them while they're listening to this interview. Mm -hmm. You want to share a little bit about what are the techniques that you do offer in the book you know, for a correct fit? Sure. Um, so a big part of my the problems that people have with sweater knitting isn't really even about particular techniques. It's about, um, but they don't take the time to really think through what the result, what results they want, um, whether that style of sweater is going to work on their body. That you know, you fall in love with the photo in the magazine where everything is perfect, and you can just sit around and drink coffee all day and knit and and look beautiful. And maybe the sweater. You're kind of swayed by those photos, and actually that sweater is going to look really boxy on you, or it's not going to be flattering. Um, and or your yarn choice doesn't work. So it, it really, the book starts with how to choose a yarn that's going to give you the fabric that you need, um, not just the correct gauge. And then there is a very lengthy chapter on swatching. Um, yes. I think there's like 10 pages about how to knit a swatch, which is probably going to stop some people buying it because it sounds incredibly dumb. <laughs> but it's about how you can um, really use your swatches. You know, you swatch to see if you are using the right needle size. But you can learn a lot more from the swatch in terms of uh, what the fabric is like and how it behaves, what happens to it after you wash it. So, you know, I tell people to knit big swatches, like at least six inches square. And then to wash Nobody it. Nobody wants to do that, though. They, they, everybody, I used to teach knitting classes, and everybody just wanted to avoid swatching always. But it's so yeah. important, as you say. But it's like, it, the, the chapter begins basically by saying that if you would 
if you don't mind that your sweater doesn't fit and it stretches out of shape and kills horribly, then you don't need to read this chapter. How funny. So if you don't care about that, if you if you want to knit a whole sweater that is, isn't going to work, then you don't have to. Just go for it, right. You know, I just have to say real quick, in your book, one of my favorite pictures mm -hmm. is, and I, I don't know the page number offhand, and maybe you, know, maybe you know, but the picture where there's that huge pile of swatches, I love that. You do oh. a lot of swatching. Yeah, that's not even my swatches. I'm not, a, oh, okay. I'm not organized enough to keep them in one place. I get mad at how many there are and throw them out every so often. For a while, I was going to make a blanket, but... Right, I'm never going to have yeah. time to sew hundreds of swatches together. Um, that's Cecily Garlick McDonald, the designer. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, she showed me that photo, and I was like, okay, I'm going to put that in the book. And yeah, she did, I think she awesome. took that about a year ago, and I saw her a few weeks ago. She says it's twice the size now. Wow, that's amazing. And she's just, you know, adding to the pile. <laughs> <laughs> She's That's a very really prolific designer. She is. She makes me feel crazy. Um, so once you've kind of you've chosen a yarn, you have a fabric that you like, um, and then it goes on to about how to figure out what size to make. And I talk a lot about picking a size that's going to be your base size that maybe you're then going to make changes to. So there is a, a guide to actually like where to measure, how to take your measurements, and a table that you can fill out, which is one of the elements um, that I really like about that we did an ebook that everyone who buys a printed book, no matter where they buy it, buy it from, gets access to the ebook, which is nice because it means you can, you know, print out that measurement chart and fill it out for different people or fill it out for different projects that you're making. Um, that maybe for one project you'll fill out that your measurements of your body, but then that you want negative ease, and you'll kind of you can calculate what size that means you'll need to make, um, what measurements you'll need on the actual garment, um, and so then once you've sort of figured out what size you're going to make, there's a lot about how you can then change the fit if you need to, um, and in a way that it's not a sort of it's not a step by step guide, and I find a lot of um, there's there are plenty of guides sort of making nice shaping or doing bust arts, but they all sort of assume that you're knitting well, this blank blank canvas, that you're knitting a really plain like stockinette sweater, and so I tried to make it more about how you can do those things, but how you can analyze like the pattern you want to make and whether like how you can keep the elements that you really like about the pattern, whether that's that it's an A-line, but you, you're pretty bottom-heavy, you have a large, larger hip measurement. So in order to keep that A-line effect, you're going to need to increase, even though the, the pattern as it's written would fit around your hips. Um, so that sort of thing. And there is a lot of math in the book, but uh, we try to make it as friendly as possible. It's very broken down, um, and there are a lot of examples, and it's all handwritten. Um, the book isn't all handwritten. That would be absurd, but the calculations are all handwritten. So it's, which, I don't know, people have said it looks less scary than 
my crazy spreadsheets. And did you know that handwriting yourself? Is that your, is that your hand? It is my handwriting, yeah. Um, so now when I go to book signings and people are like, doesn't your hand hurt? After spending a week handwriting stuff for the book, 14 hours a day, um, I think I've had some practice. It's made signing books a lot easier. Wow, that is, that's crazy. But I love it because it adds such a personal touch to the book. Thanks. And I don't think I've seen anybody include their own handwriting like that before. Yeah, I think it's because it's actually a lot of work. Yeah. And we didn't really think about that. I tend to do things without thinking, you know, if you think too much about how much work it's going to be, then, yeah, it wouldn't ever happen. Right. Well, um, so you've talked about kind of all the techniques that you go through in the book for proper fit and, and shaping. Mm -hmm. So what do you think out of all those techniques is the most crucial? Or is it hard to pick just one? But if you had to choose one, what do you think is the most important step? Um, it's not even really, but a lot of techniques are not really about um, making an okay sweater. They're about how you can, once you've figured out how to make it a decent sweater, about how you can refine the fit. And then there's also some techniques, um, like a tubular cast-on, a buttonhole I really love, different ways to do short rows, things that are just going to make your sweater more professional, make the fit more refined. But really the most important thing, I think, is that the people I used to speak to that are really, if they're really disappointed that they made a sweater that is just all wrong, it's that they were so excited about it that they they just cast on without really stopping and thinking about it, thinking about whether the yarn choice was good, even maybe they didn't swatch, or they didn't, um, you know, choose the right size, maybe use the right style for their body. Um, I find a lot of particularly bustier women making sweaters that are much, much too big because they, you know, they measure around the fullest part and choose their size based only on that measurement, which doesn't really work very well. Yeah, because they could be wearing like a tent and very unflattering mm -hmm. sweater. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Okay. So what do you think... So those are the kind of the common pitfalls of sweater knitting. Mm -hmm. Now, have you, in your early days of knitting, ever had a sweater just turn out terrible, or are all of your sweaters <laughs> great? No. <laughs> oh God, no. And it still happens. Um, really? Wow. We yeah. There's kind of an example in the book of we took. I mean, I think I wrote about this in the introduction. We took Amanda, who modeled the plus size sweaters. We took her measurement basically at teen and a at like one in the morning, and we didn't really the measurement we didn't really include, which is actually really crucial, is the measurement um, like the placement of where the narrowest point on her torso is. If you look at her from the front, which for a lot of women um, is not the natural like waistline, like it's not where you know, you bend right above the hips. It's um, it's often actually much closer to the underbust. And so one of the patterns, um, Angostura is a vest with waist shaping that's really um, 
obvious visually. It's worked into a cable pattern, so the cables get narrower, like at the waist, which should be really flattering until the narrower part isn't in the right place. And so we ended up, um, you know, we ran out of time. We took the photos, like I flew to Chicago for the weekend, which is insane. And we ran out of time to re-knit it, and I didn't know until I flew to Chicago and actually had Amanda try the cutters on, but it wasn't really in the right place for her shape. And so we ended up, um, we took the original photos for the book, and then we ended up re-knitting the front of that sweater. And it became one of the example tutorials in the book about how to change where the shaping is in a pattern. Um, so that it's more visually flattering to your shape. But, yeah, it started off as a mistake. Oh, funny. So I guess mistakes still, still happen to very qualified people. That's kind of reassuring. They do, yeah. But it's, and it's not really, I mean, you know, you don't learn anything without making mistakes. Right, um, that's true. And you don't learn, like, what doesn't work. So yeah. mistakes are good. You can't be a new designer without getting, you know, you have to resign yourself to ripping things out a lot. It happens. It's yeah. just part of the process. Yeah. What is, what is the size range of your patterns? What do they start and end at? Um, I think the smallest size we do is a 28 finished bust measurement, and the largest is a 60. Not all of the patterns have the smallest and largest size. Um, but they all they all go from a 32 to a 58. And so, how how hard was that offering such a huge size range in the book? And how did you how did you accomplish that? Um, it's not particularly hard to actually calculate. It's not really any harder than doing a smaller size range. Um, although sometimes I like have ideas and then I realize that they're only really going to work in a couple of sizes. Like you often I see um, like really beautiful, elaborate, like very large scale lace pattern sweaters, a lot in particularly in Vogue knitting. And they're beautiful, but because the, maybe the stitch pattern is like 50 stitches wide, they can only make sizes that they want full repeats of that pattern, so they can only make sizes that are a multiple of like 50 stitches, which make, means the jump between each size is huge. Right. So I try, sometimes I have ideas that are like that, and I'm like, well, that's going to be great, but people aren't going to be able to knit it because it's, it's not going to work for a few people. Right. Um, so sometimes I, you know, I scrap ideas because they're just not going to work. Not in terms of that the style isn't going to work for different people, but structurally that pattern can't really be sized up and down. Um, but so I try, I mean, I try and, you know, design things that actually scale well. Mm -hmm. um, it's more, the problems are more in terms of how you present that many sizes yes. in a pattern that's easy to follow. Mm -hmm. um, so all of the... All of the patterns in the book are written in kind of a worksheet for format. So, like it'll say, cast on A stitches, knit B rows, and then you can, there's a table. And we tried to put the tables on the same page as like where it refers to them. 
And so you can read across and be like, I'm making this size 40, so then A for 40 is 111, so I cast on 111 stitches. Um, and you can go through in advance and like highlight the columns for your mm -hmm. size or actually fill out the numbers, um, which makes it, you know, you're not getting lost in like a row of 16 numbers. I know, yeah. In I brackets, which, um, so it's really hard to follow that with that many sizes. And it is, um, from just the potent point of view, from creating the patterns, it's not so much hard to write as it's hard to edit. It's because the more numbers you have, the more numbers that could potentially be wrong. So it's more work for the tech editor who has to then check all of those numbers, which also is, is one reason that you tend not to see such large size ranges. Um, in magazines or in published books is that they have a budget for tech editing and if a designer comes along and has, you know, a sweater that has sizes, there goes the whole tech editing budget. Yes, I could see that, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so cool that you, that you offered that to knitters, that, that anybody can buy your book and make a sweater for themselves. I yeah, I, mean, I think it's important. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Well, let's talk about the patterns a little bit. Uh, how, how many patterns? Sure. Is there eight? Am I right? Seven. Seven, okay. <laughs> Close, okay. Yeah. And there was eight, but one of them never really works out. Oh, I see, I see. So I love all the patterns, but I, I love Thanks. all of your designs. But do you have a personal favorite or any that, that um, really speak to you that you want to talk about on the podcast? I think that's a little bit like asking someone about, to tell you their favorite child. I know. But, um, I, I like them for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to wear the samples because we use them at events and we photograph right. them and, you know, knitwear is not indestructible. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've sort of commandeered the Leica sample, uh, which is the sort of lace tendering hoodie it's, it's made in silk yarn. Um, and so I think we're going to have someone knit another sample so that I can continue wearing <laughs> the one that I've been wearing. Mm -hmm. So I find that one, you know, it was fun to knit, but it's also, it's super wearable. It's kind of lightweight. You can throw it in a bag. It's not really fussy. So it's, I find it's easy to you know, just throw on without thinking about, like, the rest of your outfit and what goes with it or whether you're wearing, like, a dress that's the right shape, that sort of thing. Um, but I also, you know, like the others for different reasons. Uh, Melia, which is sort of the title sweater um, in that it's the little red, white, and hood one. Um, and it's sort of, it's the idea is that it's like wearing a fairy tale cape, but you have sleeves, you can put a coat on over it, you can actually, you know, lift your arms up and do things. That's um, <laughs> around the forest. But it's it's really fun to wear. Um, it's it's pretty warm. It's a little warm for even Scotland in June. But it's, yeah, it's really fun to wear. And um, I met that one in Fiber Company, Canopy, which oh, is like alpaca and bamboo. That's a lovely yarn. So it's so, yeah, it feels wonderful to wear. It's really cozy. 
Well, one of these days I'll get around to knitting some of these sweaters. I I love them. I awesome. I especially love that one that has the um the kind of vine pattern going on. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's my favorite. What's that one? Self. Self. Yeah, that's right. I love that. Yeah. One. And it's also like a very wearable sweater. It's kind of casual, but it's still. I like that it kind of it looks hand knit. Mm -hmm. Not in a, like, you know, yeah, bad right, right. or made way, but that it has sort of knitterly details yeah. um, no. that you wouldn't necessarily get with something from the store. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. I I think that one might be my favorite, but it's hard to choose. <laughs> it's one of the faster ones to knit. Oh, to good to know. Okay. If you're kind of stuck for time. I am at the moment. Sure. Yes. Good. <laughs> so the next thing I wanted to talk about is just, it's just the book, the the publishing part of the book. It's I know this book mm -hmm. has been in progress for a long time now. How how long has it taken you from beginning to end? Do you think? Mm, just a little under eighteen months. Wow. Okay. Although I mean, some of the sweaters, some of the sweaters, like I started like three years ago, uh -huh. but um, I tend to you know knit things and try them out, and then it's not perfect, so it gets. I'm busy with something else, mm -hmm. so it gets kind of put on the back burner. But, um, yeah, from actually, like, starting to work on it mm -hmm. was sort of right at the beginning of last year. Okay. Well, then, actually, that's not that long at all, considering this book size. It's, it's longer than I thought it was going to take. I it, did, it was kind of delayed. But it also um, was going to be a lot shorter. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you just added so, to it, so yeah. that adds time. I could see that. It does. It adds a lot of time. Yeah. So ha has it has this whole process, because, you know, you don't often see a self-published book that's this big. I mean, usually self-published books are smaller, or people do just like a little yeah. book of patterns, like whimsical little knits and so forth. Mm -hmm. So th did the process prove more challenging to you than you thought, or how did that, how did it work out, you think? Um, it did, partly, um, but, you know, it kind of, I feel like I'm pretty comfortable writing a knitting pattern, but the book turned out to, you know, it was like writing an actual book with, there's a lot of text and a lot of explanation, mm -hmm. and just figuring out how to, um, how to write that and how to organize it and have it make sense mm -hmm. was, you know, something I hadn't really done before, especially not on this scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was hard. I bet. Um, but uh, it's also, um, one of the things that's been the most rewarding has been that it is a bigger book, and I basically did everything on the fringe of the books myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I did knitting, and I did, like, the graphic design, um, whereas this has been, it's huge. Mm -hmm. It would have been, take, it would have taken 10 years if I did everything and probably wouldn't have turned out so well either. <laughs> so there were more people involved, which has been really fun because, you know, I need to working at home by myself mm -hmm. and not really talking to anyone. Mm -hmm. So it was really fun to collaborate with other people and other, like, really creative people. Mm -hmm. Like, particularly, um, my graphic designer. Yeah, she's awesome. Julie Lebeck. Mm -hmm. She's she's really great. And um we did a lot of 
and I think she had fun doing it. You know, most of her, she does a lot of stuff for Ravelry, but them aside, most of her other clients aren't necessarily so, aren't necessarily creative people. Right, right. So I think it was fun for her to work on something where like, I could draw stuff and we could talk about it and I was doing like, photography for her. So we went back and forth a lot rather than, you know, me having, just handing the content over to her, being like, okay, you know, make it pretty. Right, right. Um, but it's also like working with other people. If suddenly, you, you know, you're managing a project and you have to communicate and people need deadlines and mm -hmm. you have to check in that everyone's doing well and we're all, I don't know, so traveling constantly. Yeah, so, so that presents its own challenges, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it's also really hard. Yeah. Wow. What a what a process. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. my last question about the book um, itself is what do you hope that the that the knitter reading Little Red in the City, what do you hope that they'll take away from it? Um, more than anything, I mean, I hope it'll help people be more confident. Um, more confident in their knitting skills, but also um, to have confidence that they know what they're doing, that they they can make their own decisions um, about what techniques they're going to use, what patterns they should make. Maybe they don't think something in a pattern is going to work very well, but they have the confidence to trust that they can do it better. Mm -hmm. um, and also that to have confidence in their body and you know, to make things that look really great on them. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, um, I, I know that a lot of people that are going to be listening to this podcast are very familiar with your work, but I don't think that everybody knows um, much of your backstory. I don't think so. <laughs> so um, I was wondering, do you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself and, and how you got started as a knitwear designer? You can do the, the condensed version. Um, just so sure. that everyone just can get to know you a little bit more, because I know everyone, I'm sure that I would say probably 90% of the people listening already know so much about your designs and they follow your blog and everything, but it'd be nice mm -hmm. to get to know the person behind all of the designs. <laughs> um, well, I think the first thing that you really need to know is that I can't follow directions oh. <laughs> for anything. Um, I, you know, I can't follow a recipe. Really? At all. Um, I, I have a good sense of direction. I can read a map very well. But um, if you, you know, tell me to go left and then right again, I'm going to get hopelessly lost. Huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I drove my teachers crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't, I'm not very good at following moving pattern. It's, um... My assistants like to make me try and knit from a pattern for their entertainment. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. I usually bring everything across the room. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I, I don't know. I, I lose track of it. Or I, you know, start knitting what I think it probably says instead of what it actually says. I see. And so when I started knitting, the, I, you know, I learned how to knit. And I had books and I learned techniques. But... I, I find it much to learn how to follow the pattern. And then immediately, like, I knit, like, a hat, and I'd be like, oh, but I could do it with cables, or I could do this with mm -hmm. it. And so I start 
sort of saw patterns from the very beginning as like a blueprint rather than, you know, something you have to follow as it's written. I see. And I was doing, um, I got into knitting sort of like towards the end of high school and I'd been doing a lot of dressmaking and again, like, you know, I drafted my own patterns or, you know, just started sewing things to, and sometimes they worked out okay. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't really know any knitters or know that, you know, you were supposed to follow patterns. <laughs> so <laughs> I started just making things up and they sort of, sometimes they worked. But then I started, like, taking photos and uh, posting them online and people wanted to make them. So then I had to, I ended up reading a lot of knitting patterns without knitting them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I could do this. It seems fairly, you know, straightforward. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of, I wrote up a few, just like, patterns for little things um, and learned pretty quickly that people's brains work in different ways and actually you have to tell them everything <laughs> you did, not just, like, well, make a hat with a cable like this. Yeah, one. right. Um, so, which works great for some people, mm -hmm. but... Not everybody. Not no. for others. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, you know... I find even a lot of knitters who design their own stuff or who, you know, could knit something without a pattern, they knit to relax and they don't want to have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So patterns, I've kind of learned that patterns are pretty useful, even if I don't like them very much. And uh, I'm glad there were, you know, other knitters who like them because <laughs> then I can afford to yeah. <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, that's a plus. <laughs> no one used knitting patterns, that would be a problem. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was sharing pictures of patterns online, and people wanted to make them. And I discovered Knitty.com. Mm -hmm. This was maybe 2006, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was this little magazine. I found this like little website that someone had made, and I think I didn't even think about it. I think I just thought I was the only person that was looking at it, and maybe like five other people had seen it. <laughs> And they had this page that was like, I don't know, like, how to submit to Nitty. Like, oh, wait, you just, like, email them with patterns and some photos, and mm -hmm. if they like it, they publish it. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And I started my blog because they, um, they said they would put a link to your blog if you had a blog. So I started a blog. And then I, you know, no one read my blog for, like, three months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Nitty came out, and they put my pattern on the cover, and I realized that actually there were knitters in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and they were reading this magazine. So. How funny. That's pretty much how I And then. It. And I hadn't ever, I don't think I'd ever seen like a printed magazine. I didn't, all my knitting books were, I think I had the first Stitch and Bitch book maybe mm -hmm. that I got that year. And all my other knitting books were from like the 40s. So yeah. I don't think I really knew that there were other people out there doing How this. interesting. Um, and, like, the print magazines and book publishers seemed really, like, this, you know, scary, mm -hmm. distant world. Yeah. Um, which, you know, now they're mostly friends of mine, and it's not a scary world at all. But it didn't even occur to me to try, like, submitting to Interwave or something like uh -huh. that. But I'd seen people selling PDFs online. Like, I think, um, like, Bon Marie Burns was back then... Um, there were a couple of people, and I was like, well, I can make a PDF. That's easy. So it seemed easier to self-publish. Huh, how interesting. So 
(laughs) Just like five years ago that you just submitted your first pattern to Nitty. Wow. Think of all that you've accomplished in the past five years. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. (laughs) It's a little weird. And I think, I mean, it's also, it's not just, I think the the knitting world has really changed a ton. And and I totally got into it at like a very, like a really good time in terms of that people were excited about finding things on the internet. Um, So the knitting blog community was much smaller. It was like before Ravelry, but then Ravel when Ravelry started. um, Exactly. That was really great for my business. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. How interesting. That's really cool. That's really cool to know. So um, since since your latest book, Little Red in the City, is you know focuses a lot on instruction, do you think that for future mm-hmm. projects you're going to go that route? Do you think you're going to do some more instruction-based books? Or are you, are, which direction do you think you'll go in in the future? Um, right now I'm working on, um, sort of going back to working on more designs for, like, smaller patterns, um, like accessories, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I'm working on Whimsical Little Knits 3. Oh, how fun. Um, and it's, it's really fun. Um, I love designing sweaters, but writing sweater patterns is kind of hard work, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly everything else seems a lot right. easier. Um, so that's fun, and, Yeah. I mean, I love writing the instructions, but I also feel like, you know, I want to let well right out into the world and see what people do, how people respond to it, mm-hmm. and um, what people do with it, and maybe at some point I'll have more to say about like technique and mm-hmm. more instructional stuff. But right now I'm kind of having fun just designing. Yeah, yeah, I understand. That's cool. Well, I... And not working 14 hours oh, a day man. is sort of a goal. <laughs> so you, were you, like, inside for 14 hours a day at the computer and with your thing? I was working, like, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, so my much, goodness. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. So, <laughs> and people were really, like, you know, people were getting kind of, um, so that the book was delayed and, you're yeah. like, I'm working as People much were really as I excited about it. Yeah, and I'm like, well, there's not really much I can do to do this faster. Yeah. So, and yeah, and um, and I think, you know, we did have problems in terms of setting expectations um, and underestimating how long things would take and how big the project would be, that sort of thing. But yeah, it ended up being a lot of work. Oh, I can imagine which it's really fun, but, yeah, a little crazy, too. Well, I just have one thing to say about that. I think it was worth the wait for everybody out there. <laughs> it turned, it turned out I hope great. So. It's awesome, really. It's awesome. So you, you should be very proud. So, um, yeah, well, I, I, that's pretty much all that I had to ask you today, and I'm just, I'm just really, again, really thankful that you are able to make the time to be on the podcast today and I just know that my listeners are going to be so excited to hear from you so thank you again Yasolda awesome okay thank you for having me you're welcome so thank you again to Yasolda for being a part of this episode 
And I'd like to say that I meant absolutely everything I said about her book in the interview. I genuinely think it's amazing, and I encourage all of you to check it out. The designs are gorgeous, of course, and there is tons of very interesting, helpful information presented in a very fun and unique way. I'm also happy to report that Isolde has donated a signed copy of Little Red in the City for this episode's drawing prize. So be sure to check my blog in the next few days because I'll be posting all of the drawing information there so that you can enter to win this copy for yourself. Also, if you're a big Isolde fan like I am, you'll be excited to know that she has provided a special discount code on all of her pattern PDFs just for the Never Not Knitting listeners as well. From now until July 14th, you can get 10% off all of her patterns on Ravelry by entering the special code NNKPODCAST in the checkout process. If for some very, very strange reason you've never heard of Isolde or have never seen her patterns, this is a great excuse to check them out. I'll be posting a link to her Ravelry page, as well as her website and blog in this episode's show notes. As a reminder, the show notes for this episode, and all episodes of Never Not Knitting, can be found on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, please email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Well, that about wraps up episode 53. Thank you so much for listening, and please join me back for another new episode on July 15th. I'll see you then. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clickin' From morning until she goes to bed She won't take the time to brush her teeth Let's not even talk about her hair If it isn't about knitting She just doesn't really care Never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Stop rumming again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. I don't know about her. She used to be such a sweet girl, but now she doesn't knit. Nobody has clean laundry. No pants. No shirts. No underwear. But they have closets full of sweaters And more socks than they could ever wear There's yarn in the fridge In the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry It's even in the washer and dryer That's why she can't do any laundry I need some clothes Never not knitting, and it's making her husband.
husband mad. Her husband mad. I'm filing for divorce. She just won't stop her stitching. And the neighbors say it's really getting bad. She's taking pictures of socks again. Oh, poor girl. The house is burning up in flames. Oh, 911. Her husband says, Get up, let's go. But she can't set down her project. She says, Just let me finish up this row. She's never not knitting. And it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop her stitching. And, well, she's losing all she had.